Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? This is a really goth episode. Is it really? This is a very goth episode. I hope you have your lace gloves. <laughs> you Can you imagine how much lace it would take to cover Kessel in order oh for him God, to fit Dave, into you a just real... reminded me of a story. When I was in high school, we wanted to go steal clothes at Hot Topic, but they didn't have my size. <laughs> so I literally could not steal the stupid Rob Zombie shirt, his shirt that I wanted to get because they only had larges and they knew I was a double extra large and that was, a, that was an embarrassing day. I literally too big to steal. Too fat to be golf. That would be the name of your fucking life story. Oh my god. All right. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hello. All right. And beautiful Henry Zabrowski over there. There's just something about Dennis Nilsson uh-huh. that made me toss on some like I I toss on some Sisters of Mercy. Mm. I know that's technically not his his era. No. But there's something so goth about his shit that I'm just like twisting back and forth living listen to to Suey and the Banshees? Is it Susie? It's Susie. Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> Susie and the Banshees? Man, just so sad, like, hanging, like, dancing like Linus from <laughs> Peanuts. Which one? Who did the slouchy dance? I love Linus. All right, so this guy, he is goth, and he's also Scottish. Wait, he's Scottish? I, I didn't realize I that know. could be a combo. I don't know if he's goth. I don't know if anyone who loves prog rock as much as he did, it could be goth. Eh, well, they like to kick a lot, so <laughs> let's talk about it. We're, today's episode, we're covering this dude, Dennis Nilsson. So Dennis Nilsson was a Scottish serial killer who murdered 15 men in London from 1978 to 1983. Although Nilsson is oftentimes known as England's Jeffrey Dahmer, Nilsson himself said that the comparison is superficial at best. Let's just say Mr. Dahmer, uh, I mean, obviously did horrible crimes. But he had that X factor. Sure. He had that something special. He had that something else. Not saying that Dennis Nilsson is not a, a perfect snowflake in his own world. Right. As someone who to be heralded in his own world of serial killing them. Yeah, and Jeffrey Dahmer never bowed to the queen. <laughs> yeah, he was never a subject. He was a true American patriot who, through the freedoms of, afforded by this country, Absolutely. rented an apartment and turned into a hellscape for those poor, poor young Filipino men. That is a That is his... 
29th Amendment right. Uh, it's not done yet, but I'm going to write it in there. Oh, yes. Both were gay men who murdered out of loneliness and kept the bodies for extended periods of time, mm. but Nilsson was not a cannibal. He did not mutilate bodies for pleasure, nor did he keep trophies of his victims as Dahmer did. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny way to say dicks. <laughs> uh, it's, is it a trophy, Mr. Dahmer? Yeah, yeah. If I were to just take off my pants and just go, you know, in front of Natalie and be like, and here's my most improved player trophy and pointed towards oh, my penis. I don't know if that well, would no help No one me. wants to think about that. Well, in fact, in some ways, Nilsson's crimes are creepier, oh. as his murders are, in their own way, more romantic. Because hmm. he's like a TV character come to life. A very really? shallow one, but a TV character nevertheless. Okay. He is a paler version of a vampire than we've seen. Wow. <laughs> he is... I, I would, I would appreciate... I would compare him to a vampire. He is very romantic. It's very much atmospheric. And it's true. And that's where the creepy factor does come in. Right. It's really just when you start reading the books about Dennis Nilsson and getting into <clears throat> his interior life. And a part of it is the same Mark David Chapman thing that we were talking about in the last couple episodes, which is the idea of like, some people just have the most dark, cryptic fantasies going on in the back of their head, and you just wouldn't even know. Yeah, absolutely not. The Monster Squad vampire, a little too <laughs> fat. I want a thinner vampire for some reason. <laughs> well, Nilsson's victims were men picked up from pubs, some gay, some not, as that didn't really matter to Nilsson. Really? His M.O. was to meet them, bring them back to his place for more booze or just shelter for the night. And when the moment was right, he'd strangle them. Interesting. So instead of PBRs like Dahmer, he was drinking Boddington's. And unlike <laughs> yes. it being at uh, four o'clock in the morning bar close, I think it's like 10 p.m. In, <laughs> in the U.K. So it was a fairly early uh, time to, to be kidnapping folks. Dennis Nelson was a rum and coke man. No kidding. Yep. You love his Bacardi. You love his Bacardi and Coke. Uh, and it's everyone else's that was drinking that warm U.K. beer, which is very strange. I like a good Boddington. Well, after he killed them, he'd keep the bodies for months, treating them like company or cuddle buddies until the decomposition set in too much, and you'd have to dispose of them in increasingly disturbing ways the more the bodies piled up. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is like, so it's like sort of his version of a uh, of a body pillow, <laughs> but it's an actual human body. Well, the way he would put it is we'll get obviously deeper into details that he'd black out uh -huh. and he'd just wake up in the morning and the dude would be dead. Oh. And then out of the, he would go and he'd, he would do his, he would do his ceremony and then he'd leave him in a chair completely nude. He'd go to work and come back and be like, hello. <laughs> I, I didn't see any there. And it's just, and again, it's about the, um, how normal it was mm -hmm. yeah. and how like, it's like, oh, I got to get rid of these bodies that it was that, that that's where the true, uh, scariness comes in. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And the whole blackout thing that sort of evolved over the years where at first he would say, it's like, well, I was blacked out for six of them. Uh, I was blacked out for five of them. Okay. Uh, I was blacked out for three uh, of them. Uh, actually I remember every single one of them. Can I just say, I remember quite a bit. Um, <laughs> Um, it's all sort of like, let's say, etched in my mind. I gave you a bit of a fib, uh. mostly just because, like, <laughs> oh, right? Everybody sees and hears about what I do, and they're like, oh, what are we, what's wrong with him? And I tell you what, there's quite a bit wrong with me. It sounds <laughs> like it. Now, like only a few other serial killers, Dennis Nilsson wrote an autobiography. Oh. But instead of, say, a Pee Wee Gaskins, who, quote-unquote, wrote his in order to be seen as the baddest little boy around, uh -oh. Nilsson's goal was to portray himself as a sensitive intellectual. Oh, I see. 
Nielsen's biography was a 4,000-plus page opus titled <laughs> History of a Drowning Boy. <laughs> See, that is very goth. That does sound like the that sounds like a, an album from, uh, from like Echo and the Bunny Man. Yeah. <laughs> and History of a Drowning Boy was named for an incident from his childhood. Uh. That book is a treatise in navel-gazing with oh. chapters such as the one about his sexual history titled Orientation in Me. Yes, <laughs> he is very snooty. He is a snooty man that wrote a snooty poet, yeah. poetry-filled book that is not so... That thing's now that he's passed, that's a part of why we're doing this episode, because Dennis Nelson passed and we bumped him up the list, because he was like, he was the next one. Mm-hmm. Wait till you see the, 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 which I'm excited for, the one that was going to be before him, but he was a snooty, snooty boy. Um, and every <laughs> one of his pages is filled with these like little like It's just very poetic. Oh, okay. It's very... It's him searching for the the reasons why because again it's a bunch of people were looking at him being like why did you do this shit and he's just like let me get my quill <laughs> and the story <laughs> shall begin and thus began the final truth oh that's the final truth it's interesting because you talk to people you'll be like I got I got $17,000 of student debt and they're like what's your major orientation in me <laughs> uh, they did let me make my own major it, it turns out can't get a job now, from the excerpts I've read, it's really, in essence, no different from any other serial killer confession. They think they're taking responsibility, mm. but at the same time, they're also hinting that it isn't really their fault, that if not for these two or three things, then everything would have been fine. Okay. But even in their confessions, they can't help but lie in order to twist the facts to make themselves look better. With Gaskins, it was to make himself look tougher. But with Nilsson, it was all about making him and his crimes seem more sophisticated. But that is a common thread with Dennis Nilsson that we'll see. Everything that came from his life because he came from this small Scottish shanty town mm-hmm. filled with fish guts <laughs> was that... Wait, have, you ever seen, have you ever seen the show Little Britain? Yeah. Oh, I love Little Britain, yeah. There's a character in that who's the only gay in the village. Oh, uh, David. Yes. He was that. Yes. Where uh. he, because he was born gay and he was in this little, he's in this village where it's just like, he was the only one, or as far as he was concerned, he was the only one. Everything had a more thematic, like a more dramatic flair. Every single thing was about how important it was. Every single detail of his childhood was was uh, a seed that flourished in his young, tormented mind. And sure. He, it's a lot. So he walked into <laughs> his house, he saw a dead corpse there, or just a corpse sitting in the chair and he says that's because I'm a sophisticant yes. is that is that what we're talking about here hold up here like it stops like in the movies like hold up let me explain how I got here <laughs> <laughs> Pulls a Zach Morris timeout. Well, while he's trying to make his crimes more sophisticated, he's also trying to mitigate his crimes as well. He said that he was not a sex maniac, mm. not a sadist, no. not a necrophiliac, uh-huh. no. not vengeful, no. and not insane. Certainly not. Uh, Definitely, completely on the money. Maybe tight it's as a, <laughs> tight as a drum. What maybe he, it's the sarcastic knot. <laughs> what he was, in his words, was totally irresponsible. <laughs> I love that. That sounds totally irresponsible. That sounds like the period of time I went through a four-year period of time where I just didn't pay my U.S. taxes because I didn't know what the fuck to do with it. I mean, I, I've since paid up and I did right. everything, but I remember going to an accountant and just be like showing the notices from the IRS and being like, "I'm like totally irresponsible." <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's gonna be like, we will fix this. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, a totally irresponsible thing. There is some truth to that mm-hmm. because he said again and again that he could have turned himself in after the first murder, but yeah. when <laughs> but when pressed as to why he never did, he said it was because he was worried about what was going to happen to his little dog. Bleep. Oh. His dog whose name Bleep. That's <laughs> oh my god. I don't know. All all killings aside, that's a great name for a dog. It's the cutest names I heard for a little Scottish dirty dog. And then part of it too was that he's. I think I am pretty certain. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure you will. Uh, I think that he was the only serial killer with a pet. With several pets, like he would like oh, of the ones we've heard. I think maybe some of them had a dog. I, I would imagine like Gacy he, must have had a dog. Gacy had no no pets. dog. I would imagine that like Gaskins uh, or like Henry Lee Lucas had like a yard dog. Right, like, right. that's not like your dog. Yeah. that's like a dog that belongs to the community that shits on your yard the most. <laughs> right, right. Or it's like <laughs> Bleep your- was his dog. <laughs> yeah. Bleep was a tiny little dog. That's like it's like Wendy. You would not mistake and Wendy's like my dog because Wendy has to be carried by me to do most functions in her life. Right, right, right. Yeah, you're needed. (laughs) Well, Nelson said he never appreciated it when people called him a monster because doing so diminished the psychological complexities of both the case and himself. In other words, he found a way to make himself special instead of just another dickhead who chose murder. Okay. Well, you got to make yourself special because, Marcus, if you don't make yourself special, then who's going to make you special? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe bleep. (laughs) And as we'll find out, this man was indeed a monster, but not in the way that we think of, say, to put it in British terms, Ian Brady or Fred West Mm. were monsters. Yes. Nelson was a monster of romance. A monster of romance? The meatloaf of serial killers? (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) And while Dennis Nelson's loneliness tempts sympathy, he, like Dahmer, is a man who deserves none. Hmm. Nelson again and again tried to intellectualize his crimes to make them more impressive than they actually were, making him no different from Henry Lee Lucas claiming the hand of death hired him and his buddy Otis to commit their murders in order to destabilize the American government. Of course. (laughs) But before we get into the life of Nelson, let's go through our sources. The first is the true crime classic Killing for Company by Brian Masters, given to me by friend Neil during our UK tour. Thank you, Neil. All right. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Neil. Thank you very much, Neil. The other source today is Dennis Nelson, Conversations with Britain's Most Evil Serial Killer, written by Russ Coffey. Oh, all right. But the interesting thing here is that while both were written with the assistance of Nelson himself, Killing for Company was written in 1985, soon after Nelson's conviction, while Coffee's book is from 2013. Okay. Killing for Company also sounds like a really sad childhood. <laughs> you know, just like, I would kill for some company right now. I could just go for any kind of companionship. I will say that through many years of my life, I was definitely eaten for loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> Well, these two books, having these two sources, that means that we've got two different perspectives from Dennis Nelson, told almost 30 years apart. So the Hmm. story that he tells has time to change and evolve. The challenge here is to figure out what is truth and what is lies. What is truth and what is lies? (laughs) That's tough. But we'll do our best. As we get into the life of Dennis Nelson. All right. I know that he's not goth, but the thing is that a part of it is the the prog part of it is the lamest part. We'll get into it, but it's just yeah. so like it's such I the like lamest music prog. of the prog. I, I actually, the I love the, the famous one, the flogging mollies. What? The flogging mollies? Prog no. rock? What the hell is prog rock? The prog rock is like yes or like rush. 
and sticks. Oh, 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 <laughs> never mind. Oh, well, I do not, not like prog rock. I'm ta- I'm not talking about action prog. I'm not talking about like you know fun up tempo prog, instrumental prog, like your Emerson Lake and and Palmer. There are certain areas where it's like, oh, what are we doing? We're really killing people to this. Oh, right. this is the soundtrack well, to our murder. I'm thinking of. There's a lot of great prog out there. Like there's this one great prog album uh-huh. that was based on Lord of the Rings. That's oh. like a completely instrumental prog album that was put out in like the mid '70s, and it is fantastic. All right, that, okay. Now, I'll give you some credit okay. there. What what is the flogging Molly? What's that? One called it's just punk. It's that's, like Irish yeah, punk. Dude. No, yeah, it's just Irish, Irish, it's called Irish something rock different. music. It's called like swashbuckling yeah, tunes or something like that. <laughs> no, dude, it's fucking St. Patrick's Day pub crawl soundtrack music. I yeah. thought it was called pro. Okay, well, never mind. <laughs> Whatever. Let's go on with the Tom Sawyer conversation here. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time of Nelson's capture in 1983, he was a reasonably handsome, big glasses wearing, <laughs> rum and coke guy working in civil service who spent his days haranguing his fellow employees about left wing politics. Okay. I don't understand. Every single one of these British serial killers, they always say the same thing, shockingly handsome. Where it's just like, he still looked like a skeleton with a bunch of Play-Doh on it. Like, he's still like, like, we, like I don't mean to malign British men no, all the time. And very handsome. But he was sallow. Yeah. Right, right. No, you could be a David Beckham, a very <laughs> handsome uh, British man. This man doesn't, Nilsson doesn't really fall into that category. No, they say. always say that, but like, he was actually kind of good looking. I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> right. That's me. Then. Well, by the time he was caught, Dennis Nilsson had murdered 15 men in two different locations and had been disposing of them in gruesome, horrific displays of indifference. Mm. But before all that happened, Dennis Nilsson was just the saddest little boy in Scotland. <laughs> Is that work? That works. That works. That sounded pretty good. Yeah. The scene has been set, man. I'm in. I'm in merry old Scotland. Absolutely. Yeah. You remember, man? Our knees going up in the homeland. Oh God, I miss the the. I've missed the bosom of Scotland and how good I felt to be. Honestly, Glasgow was such a good place for us. Glasgow was amazing. It was. Now, Dennis Nelson was born in the small northeastern fishing town of Fraserburg, oh. just east of Lossiemouth and Falkabers, uh-huh. but not quite as north as the town of John O'Groats. You pronounced it perfectly. <laughs> yes, perfectly done. And each one of these towns is based off of a different story of a giant man somehow being washed ashore on an island filled with tiny people <laughs> that held him hostage until he murdered all of them by stepping on them. Hey, all right. <laughs> Gulliver's Travel. Falkabers. John O'Groats. John O'Groats. I love that all their towns sound like they're just yelling at you. <laughs> he named him John O'Groats because it's the sound migraine he made when he'd put on his boats on a day. O'Groats! You're the grandson of that guy. You're now the mayor. <laughs> Fraserburg is the biggest shellfish port in Scotland and is known the country over as a remote, miserable, cold, dour place and has recently been dubbed the heroin capital of Scotland. (laughs) Hey, hey, Lassie, come here. He'll be full asleep in the middle of the street. Yeah, you give me this needle, eh? Yeah, makes me cool down. Even when I sleep, I'm lulled. Oh, sleeping, I'm sleeping, I'm nooding, I'm sleeping. Aww. 
Uh, the people of Frasersburg, at least back in Nelson's childhood, were said by Brian Masters to have been suspicious of strangers, very aware of the existence of good and evil, oh. and had markedly different personalities at night. Sounds huh. like people addicted to heroin. <laughs> <laughs> also, do you ever, <laughs> you ever watch The League of Gentlemen? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. It reminds me of that small town. Because I believe it was like Northern England. I forget where that they, where it was actually set. But the idea of being like uh, uh, locals being right. the only ones you could trust. Yeah, I, I think that you are taking these uh, sketch television shows very literally <laughs> when is, it comes to the representation of uh, the nation that they hail from. That is their cultural reach out to people like me. That, that is, is how I know. That was their cultural attache was all of the sketch comedy from the UK. Well, on the other hand, the dour nature of this town is somewhat to be expected as a large number of the population would drown every year on fishing expeditions, Jesus. sometimes losing entire male lineages in a single day. <laughs> it's not funny, but, you know, just like, stop. You know, just like in the boat. I always daddy, say, Daddy, you got to help me. There's so many fish pulling me into the ocean, Daddy. They never should have put us on the same boat, my son. <laughs> it seems like if it happens like too much, like kind of your fault. Yeah. Like you know, a yeah, little bit. Stop I'm going not, out. Yeah. I'm not maligning the fishermen. <laughs> Well, the people in this district even have an almost completely different language from the rest of the country. They call it Bukendorik. Ooh. Here is an example of the way they talked back then, as recorded on a 78. This is a story about a humorous airplane trip. That's my favorite. <laughs> so you mean to tell me Jerry Seinfeld existed in the 1950s, Scotland? <laughs> this is about the black box. I'm going to be very... I'm going to laugh out loud. Oh, lol. This is, from the, this is like from the 30s. Oh, okay. All right. Up we get like a bat in the noise, hide ye at dung. The engine roared and nearly blown Janet's skittles, and the wind in her faces was something of it. Is he a character from Under Milkwood? What the <laughs> hell is that accent? No, I get it. <laughs> what, what did he? Nah. Ken, would, would you care to translate the bit? I believe he said something about how, like... His kilt got stuck on a lug nut, and then a, a woman was there and saw his berries, and, and uh -huh. she was like, berries, berries everywhere, and then she, he said something to me like, what's the deal with the food being so small on the trail? Oh, all right. It is, it's a funny bit. <laughs> now, it may not come as a surprise that this remote fishing village was a hot spot for inbreeding going uh. back centuries. It was so common that surnames became essentially meaningless in this town. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> to avoid confusion, people would be referred to not only by their first names, but by the first names of their parents as well. For example, Nilsson's grandmother was called Wussels Liebe. Rolls uh, off the tongue. <laughs> it really does. But you know what I understand? I mean, after a while, you're stuck on this island, Cousin Irma. It's starting to look pretty good. Yeah, because but at least Cousin Irma doesn't have the rugged farmer's knees that <laughs> Cousin Velma has. I, because Cousin Velma's starting to look like a rhino from the hips down. Right. And Cousin Irma, at least she's doing steps by walking the fish gut buckets up to the top of the consulbury. I get. Isn't it one? Is it once removed is okay? Uh, I think it's like second cousin. Second cousin is fine. But I okay. think just in this, because they were all just stuck in this one 
in town, so and nobody talking, would leave. So, it, I and see. I think at this at this time, I think this town is like about like eleven thousand. Eleven thousand. So, okay, that's what I was going to so ask. So it was a, a little bit larger of a gene pool than you might expect, but small enough. I get uh, it. Where mental problems uh, were rife within oh, this community due that, to the constant inbreeding. That explains the drowning. <laughs> Perfect. I, it's all coming together. But it's like any one of those small towns when you're born. There's certain people that are born that understand like I got to get the fuck out of here as soon as you see what's happening and there are other people that are just completely contented to be part of the same system because it's nice because you're there you have your whole lineage it's like if you have kids you've got um, your grandmother who's also your sister she can watch the kids (laughs) and then you have like uh, your own kids when they become your uncle they can help you go to the farmer's market I'm not sure what they do. No, that sounds about right. And if you are in a small town right now and you feel like you're being gaslit because everyone's so extremely stupid, uh, get, don't don't be afraid to get on out. Yeah, get on out of there. Go to Cleveland. <laughs> Go to Cleveland. I just went to Cleveland. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Huh? I love Cleveland. Really, it gets a bad rap. It does, but it's a wonderful town. Okay. I had a great time. All right. Me and Carolina both had a fucking wonderful time. Yeah, you are the only two human beings I've ever heard of that went on a romantic vacation to to Indianapolis and Cleveland <laughs> and came back like whistling like you just come back from Paris, which is really nice. It was quite remarkable, yeah. Well, back to the mental illness of this village. It was so rife that insanity was considered nothing more than a quirk of personality. Oh, okay. For example, Dennis Nelson's great-grandmother would shutter herself inside her house for the months of December to June every year, and the most they did about that was to give her the drawl nickname the June Rose. You see, they have wow. better nicknames. Yes. Yeah. They have more colorful nicknames because that's very poetic. And you can kind of see where Dennis Nelson came from with the idea of his like of poetry and aggrandizing things that are small right. because it's like that is that's a very strange behavior. But it, they made it into yeah. like a fun thing. They yeah. flip it and reverse it. I know that I don't, uh, you know, I'm not the key researcher here on the show, but Marcus, you did miss the element to this that really kind of ties it all together. His grandmother was a bear. <laughs> and so naturally from December to June, she was in hibernation. And I think that that's important to oh, remember. I forgot that the neighboring town was Narnia. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's correct. Well, speaking of the poetry, I, it seems like poetry is a really big cultural thing in uh, this district, in this area of Scotland. Because when I was looking on hmm. YouTube... Uh, to try to find examples of this uh, dialect, I found a lot of poems. I found a lot of guys like reading poetry. Like there was a poem about the weather. There was one about haggis. Yeah. Uh, There was one about the weather. Another one about the weather. Wow. I mean, that's That's a lot of poems about the weather. Interesting. (laughs) Well, Nilsson's entire maternal side, the whites, were notorious for their mental illness. Another one of Nelson's ancestors, named William Pum, tried on more than one occasion to drown himself. <laughs> While another was remanded to a mental hospital, but never left. I don't understand. I take the glass of water and I try to drain myself. I put it up to my lips and I pour it into my mouth and I'm like, glug, 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 I never die. <laughs> you're, just, you're just staying hydrated. Oh, I'm drinking. <laughs> That's called drinking, yeah. And that wasn't the only weirdness in Nilsson's family. He even had a relative that at one time was put forth as possibly being Jack the Ripper. Really? Long before it was discovered that Dennis Nilsson was related to him. Really? Oh, yeah. Huh. He's got a whole entry on the Jack the Ripper case book. Interesting. 
However, the whites, even though they did have all these mental problems, they were also known to be extremely intelligent people. Oh, uh, that's okay. a very controversial statement to make, Marcus. <laughs> right. It's kind of like when you were watching it. I know you haven't seen it yet, but Evil Genius on Netflix is amazing. They constantly talk about how the main woman is like a brilliant person, and then you hear her speak, and I don't see it. I just don't like see the super intelligence. Hey, sometimes, you know what? sometimes intelligence is not in words. It is in actions. I still don't see it. I, I don't see it in that case. <laughs> you and I will get into evil genius outside of Marcus, so you don't ruin more of the series for him. It's fine. <laughs> well, this environment was what Dennis Nelson was born into just six months after the Nazis surrendered to the Allies. Mm. See, during the war, Fraserburg was an important outpost against a possible northern invasion from Nazi-occupied Norway. And since Fraserburg was right across the North Sea from Norway, that meant that this small fishing village was swarmed by resistance fighters from Nazi-occupied Scandinavian nations. Okay. So horny. <laughs> These men, because think about this. You've only been fucking the people you know your whole life. All of a sudden, these strapping Scandinavians come rolling into this small town. You know we're going to have a lot of Magnuses and Olafs and Svens come out of this town pretty soon. Could be. Could be. <laughs> yep. One of those resistance fighters was Dennis Nilsson's Norwegian father, Olaf Magnus Mokshime. Cool. Ooh. I love the name Magnus. Oh, Magnus is great. And he, for some reason, changed his name to Nelson when he was in Scotland. Nah. Um, Sounds like maybe he had a family uh, back. <laughs> So during a night of revelry in one of the local bars, Olaf met Dennis's mother, Betty White. Oh, Betty White. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Actually, I think it's pronounced wit. Betty Witt. I like Betty, Betty White. Witt. She's a national yeah, hero. Yeah, I like yeah. Betty White. Well. When her and Willie die, that's the last of a great generation. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah especially if they do it together. Oh, <laughs> I, oh, Willie and Betty White. Yeah, fucking Willie Nelson pressing her forehead to hers as she puts the fucking revolver at the back of her own fucking head <laughs> and blows up both her brains. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, Full oh, metal jacket. I just want, I just want <laughs> Willie Nelson's final words, like after he hits a huge joint, just be like, one toke over the line, and then just die. <laughs> well, Olaf and Betty were married only a couple of months after they met, and Betty popped out three kids in quick succession before Olaf skipped town for good oh, and never came back. Come on. He divorced her on grounds of adultery, which isn't surprising as Dennis said the only thing he and his mother shared was, quote, a fondness for cock. Now, he wrote that his mom, I mean, all moms at some point at least have a, a passing agreement to cock. You know what I mean? Because they had to have in order for it to be inside of them. Oh, um, man. But he also wrote that from the, when he became all like jaunty and, and gay afterwards, especially when he uh, blamed his mom for fucking everything. So wow. that, was, that was the thing. Oh. Yeah, because Dennis doesn't place any blame on his dad for leaving. Okay. It was all of his mother. And well, yeah, all because he, like, guaranteed. He was like, yeah, dad was bored. He came in here. He came into town from fucking Scandinavia where he was used to skiing everywhere. Yeah, of course he came to to Freischerberg and hated it here. Of course. Yeah, he, they said that he used to just get wasted in the pubs every night. He worked at a tobacco factory during the day. Thanks. And after about three years, he just fucked off back to Norway and said, I'm not coming back. All right, makes sense. 
And Nilsson, about his mother, he said for years that she was a good woman. And everyone who met Nilsson's mother said she was a warm woman. She was a kind woman. When Dennis would talk about his mother to like his co-workers, they said he always did it with love. But in his quest to rewrite his life, Nilsson claimed in History of a Drowning Boy that his mother was actually a terrible person who, hmm. along with his grandmother, was probably responsible for his grotesque fetishes. Uh. Oh, yeah, because I always remember, because he always talked about when his mom would bring a fresh corpse home and that they would all right. sit and play with it like it was an uncle visiting from out of town. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, they're completely responsible. I don't know. <laughs> is it classified as a fetish, the corpse? Yeah. It's bigger than a fetish. Whatever makes you like shoot. Trump's a fetish. Whatever makes you shoot is technically a fetish. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's a, yes. all right. Okay. It just depends if it moves from an idea to your job. Yeah. That's the <laughs> big jump. Okay. Nelson said that his mother and his grandmother would pass him back and forth when he was a baby, like, in his words, an unpleasant object. Mm. They said he was merely, quote, acted upon in rituals of carrying, stripping, bathing, powdering, dressing, and laying out by strong, towering powers. Huh. <laughs> I don't understand any of this language, but I know it's English. He's got, he has like a, uh, he does all the, the, the twists of the R's. He's a very droll, he has a very lovely accent, honestly. It's very, when you speak with him, he's very intoxicating to listen to, where you can see sort of the Edgar Allan Poe, but even more British side of him, hmm. like, pop out. Okay. Yeah, he's one of the few serial killers where you're like, actually, he's kind of charming. But that also could be just like our whole like American fascination with like British and Scottish accents. We're right. like, wow, he's got a British accent. He's so smart. Right. Don't right, get right. me fucking started about how many jobs we lose as American actors to British actors because they come over here for a pilot season and then all the British actors, they're like, oh, Shakespeare. And she'd be like, no, <laughs> he just has an accent. You could suck at acting and still be British. And it was but, like, when I met the guy that played Charles Manson in the Aquarius thing, and he's like, hello, mate, how you doing there? And I was like, you're going to be British? Charles Manson yep. is ours. Well, Lee, Liam Helmsworth, uh -huh. he, he sounds American, but he's British. And um, I like that. And the, and the guy from The Office, mm. who was in Black Panther. Oh, fat. Martin Freeman. He's British, too. <laughs> he was British in... The office. You know what I mean? He was but there. He was American but, he's, Black Panther. but he's American in Black Panther. I couldn't even tell. No, we haven't really gotten into what Dennis Nelson actually did with his victims concerning that last statement that he made. Right. But let's just say that rituals of dressing, undressing, washing, and laying out the bodies played a pretty goddamn big part in it. Now, Nelson claimed that this emotional deprivation, this clinical and perfunctory lack of affection, hmm. imprinted itself on his sexuality. He said it was that combined with what happened with his grandfather. Okay. Yeah. Now, Andrew White seemed to have been a good man who took care of his grandchild while Dennis's mother was out being a real Casey Anthony, oh. spending more and more nights out at the local pubs. What, you, what kind of DJs are there in Scotland, I wonder, during this time? What up, what up? It's 1973! <laughs> That's fun. And so, Dennis and his grandfather formed a strong bond. Nelson said when he was a kid, 
He took a soccer ball straight to the face, but his grandfather saved him with a, quote, magic sponge. <laughs> Although Brian Masters never actually got into what Grandpa's magic sponge actually was. I just don't think Brian Masters asked specifically what Grandpa's magic sponge was. I don't want to go too deep into it. But it does sound like, it sounds like a cute thing that Grandpa, because like, I remember my pop-pop used to do a thing where he used to like, you know, do like the, talk about his gamakas, which is what he called his nose and he pretend to take it then he'd also take his teeth out and go la, 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 and like play with his teeth <laughs> yeah. so when you're hurt and stuff and then you laugh as a kid and then it's like over so yeah my grandfather did the teeth thing too yeah and then I found it was, it was all a lie <laughs> dentures but if grandpa's magic sponge happens to be underneath his dick then that's also bad too. That, that is bad, yes. But I don't. And I don't think it was. This is just a nice little. His grandfather said, "This is the magic sponge, and well, you feel better." Hold, now. hold on it, because okay, I'm gonna hold on it. I don't know. I'm with the audience here. We're just going down the road together. But in October of 1951, Andrew White's health started failing. Okay, White was like many in his town, a fisherman, and while out at sea one day. He laid down in his bunk and died of a heart attack in his sleep. Okay. Oh, hopefully, man. I can't wait for that. Yeah. So, right. so restful. But the thing was, no one in Dennis's family actually told him that his beloved grandfather has died. So they're just weak into Bernie's this whole thing? <laughs> He's just up there. They're just holding him like a damn puppet. Be like, no, it's still Thanksgiving with it's grandpa. grandpa. Be like, it's grandpa. I, th- I think his jaw is falling off, ma. What I heard is that if I play with grandpa's magic sponge, we can find out if he's alive or not. <laughs> All Dennis knew was that the house was suddenly filled with crying people. Then, finally, they brought the boy into the kitchen to look at his grandfather's dead body, but still, they didn't tell him that he was dead. They didn't even try to explain what death was. uh, They said he was only sleeping. uh, This is a learning opportunity for the boy. Well, yeah, I mean, he's like six, which is like, that's six is old enough. That's That's when my grandfather passed away. I'll never forget it. It was the first time I ever held somebody's hand as they were dying, and you gotta you gotta do it well yeah because no a part of it it's like yes he was only six years old and they thought they were sparing him they thought that they didn't say that, uh. that he's just sleeping but the problem is that I mean he was already he had bad wires <laughs> right <laughs> yeah these guys I mean I think what it is is that you know they have bad wires that are crossed a little more easily than the rest of us sure okay because most serial killers the wires they get crossed are sex and violence and that usually happens at a young age, mm-hmm. and that's part of what drives them. But with Nelson, the wires that got fused were love and death. Hmm. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm goth dancing. I'm just goth dancing. Kind of emo. In 1985, he said, quote, My troubles started there. It blighted my personality permanently. I have spent all my emotional life searching for my grandfather. Uh... He died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, and I'm very, very happy about it. Oh. <laughs> Sponge. Now, now, while a lot of this is kind of confusing, in 2012, Nelson changed his tone, which might actually explain all this a little bit better, okay. if it's true. By 2012, Nelson came to believe that his grandfather was what Nelson called a, quote, hesitant pedophile. And I think those are the best kind. <laughs> That also sounds like a prog rock band. (laughs) Yeah, man, they had to change that title in 1996 once they came across the pond. Yep. (laughs) Nelson said he remembered his grandfather taking him out to a dark, slit-windowed, concrete pillbox guard post left over from the war. It's just a big concrete box. Okay. Yeah. There, Dennis said Andrew took down his pants, 
held his penis and told him to urinate. Now, this Hence, is the thing. Hesitant pedophile. Now, this is the thing. I, you know, I was close with my grandfather. Um, <laughs> and it just it didn't seem to be. And never once did my grandfather hold my penis like he was Coella DeVille holding a cigarette in order for me to go to the bathroom. <laughs> So I feel like no matter how close you are, that's like maybe crossing the line. Maybe yeah, that's not how it's supposed a, to be done. Definitely straight. Is that as far as it went? Well, he Nelson also kind of like entertains the thought that his grandfather might have drugged his tea and stuck a finger up his butt a couple times, which Nelson said might explain why he was obsessed with defecation as a kid. They say that quite a bit when it comes to uh, kids that have been sexually assaulted is that they do oftentimes get obsessed with defecation. So there's a, there is something to that but also he was blowing up his whole life every yeah. single thing he was constantly looking for the reasons why his murders were not his fault yeah okay so a part of it his revisionist history of his childhood because a lot of things change and become darker because he's now putting a new lens on everything trying to constantly discover like because a part of it's also the question to himself of like why am i like this yeah i mean mm. i think with this case i don't know if we've ever studied a case where people were so focused on the why mm. you know here in america like we do focus on the why a little bit but it seemed like you know the dennis nelson case especially with when you read uh uk writers write about this stuff mm-hmm. they really focus on the why more than anything else and yeah. i think dennis nelson also focused on the why yeah around here it's usually just like the why because he's a monster and let's <laughs> yeah. get into it like that that's usually the why is pretty broad and vague but it, i uh, he was also their most prolific serial killer for yeah. quite a bit of time so i he got a lot of play in the uk and there was a lot of discussion and then it's the very common trope now that we see of he was the quiet one mm. uh, how did you think he had a job he wasn't a, a screaming rambling maniac like he did all of this shit but anybody that was close to him was like dennis was weird <laughs> yeah well that tends to be the th- well now he killed 15 right 15 yeah. and, and so isn't he still number one by the uk standards i believe so okay yeah, yeah we'll i believe he out. definitely got number one in the uk okay now, this, all this stuff about sexual abuse with his grandfather, I mean, if it is true, then there might be something to this. If love and death became fused, then it's possible that these incidents, if they did indeed happen, could have brought sex into the mix as well. Because as we'll see, something without a doubt linked sex and death in Nelson's mind. Hmm. And that brings us to his other weird childhood sex possible fantasy that tries to explain away his awful behavior. Now, this is the incident that produced the title of the autobiography, History of a Drowning Boy. So when Nelson was about eight, he was swimming in the ocean when he noticed an older boy watching him. Suddenly, though, Nelson was swept underwater and started drowning. But the next thing he knew, he said he was waking up naked on the beach with, uh, quote, a sticky white mess on his stomach. Oh, God, I don't like it, man. I hate it. It's... (laughs) <laughs> if, only, yeah. if only the audience could see Ben's face right now. Well, it's, a, it's yeah. the mix between that and I have to sneeze. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Why are we so that is, that, is, uh, uh, that is disgusting. It's not nice. It's gross as fuck. But it I also- will say the ocean is filled with disgusting things, though. Like, yeah. I've gotten out of the ocean in, in Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're just covered in weird things. Oh yeah, I hate. I don't yeah, like yeah, the ocean. Man, you got fucking all sorts of shit. You got jellyfish. You got stingrays. Yeah. You got jerk off hungry boys looking for drowned victims. <laughs> I hate the beach. I do not like it. <laughs> yeah, and that's gross as fuck. But it also probably never happened. Because hmm. as we'll see, unlike other serial killers like John Wayne Gacy and Kennifer Bianchi, who try to lessen the abuse they suffered as kids, Nelson does his best to blow it out as much as he can. I see. 
However, there were incidents of animal cruelty. Even though Nelson was reportedly very good to his little dog Bleep, his little cat Dee Dee, and his little budgie Hamish in his later years. Hamish, Dee Dee, and Bleep? Yeah, yep. that's cute oh, as shit. Oh my god, send him on a mystery. That's cute as shit. That is, that is great. They were turned into blood sausages when he was arrested. So. Oh, yes, maybe the meat pies there. Okay. Well, even though he was good at animals when he was older as a kid, he dabbled in zoo sadism. When Nelson was nine years old, he hung a cat by its neck from a wire in an abandoned bathroom just to see what would happen. However, he said the whole thing actually made him sick, which I think, if he's telling the truth, tells you something about Nelson's emotional core. See, Dennis Nelson, without a doubt, suffered from borderline personality disorder, Mm. but he also wasn't necessarily a pure sociopath. I think he was actually a lot more complicated than that. Well, BPD is a very, very complicated illness. Like, it's a thing that- Extremely. And we see a lot of serial killers end up suffering from it, mostly it's just because they either weren't diagnosed, they did not get the help that they needed, and a lot of it's got to do with not having meds and therapy and all the stuff to talk about this shit, because they are they do stuff, but they're watching their hands do it, and they are, they are like, dissociated from it, but they're still feeling everything. Yeah, right. yeah, that's how my uh, mm. therapist explained it to me as we were chatting about Nelson on Thursday. Okay. Mm. Yeah, she said that while, like, sociopaths feel nothing, people with BPD actually feel the pain they're causing. So it's like you're playing a first-person shooter on, like, autoplay or something. Yeah, that's something like a terrifying that, yeah. way to put it, but yes, it's just like that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, even though they still do these things, they actually connect with their victim, and this might tell you why guys like Dennis Nelson and Jeffrey Dahmer wallow in their crimes after they're caught. It's of course no excuse and doesn't make them any better than the rest as they still took lives at the end of the day, but they do feel something besides just the fear of getting caught. Well, the way mm. Nelson would describe his life is that he said that he he had his regular life and then the, everything else played in his mind like a film and that he watched everything separated from self and would see himself doing things and then everything was deep deep fantasy and he eventually as you're going to see it starts when he was a little kid because I mean I was the same way I had a very very vivid imagination and then at some point it falls away right or it's like my imagination still goes I have now what's called intrusive thoughts but that's just because of what we do for a living but it mostly mm-hmm. it's like this guy Dennis Nilsson looked at everything like it was a, uh, a romantic fantasy and he could not bring the two together he could not bring his fantasy fantasy world into his life and figure out how to do it until much later on. Hmm. Yeah, and this uh, ability to do horrible things while still feeling, it's also why these killers tend to be more sympathetic. For example, look at Eileen Wernos. She was a classic borderline personality, but she actually had feelings. Like hmm. when you look into Eileen Wernos' shark eyes, like you still actually see something behind right. them. Yeah, she really did get into slow ride. She <laughs> really, really liked did. that song. Oh, yeah. really she gave him one. It. But a part of it is the... It's 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 a it's tragic because yeah. it really does because it's also a, it's very difficult to treat and it is very yep. difficult to hear the uh, the diagnosis. Yeah, how do you know to go to the doctor if you have it? Like, what tells you to go to the? Uh, that's the thing that is hard, hard to understand. Um, if you got this. Uh, what maybe you just have a moment of clarity and then you make your appointment or I don't know it just seems difficult if your actions are ruining your life and you have no control over said actions then it's time to go and, and get checked out and I, then if someone tells you hey you got this you have to listen to them I because see. it's okay. also it's very it's a very hard diagnosis to accept sure I can understand yeah I understand the sleeping fetish 
But if it just like gets to the point that literally the only way you can come is if the other person acts dead, I feel like you should just tell somebody. You should just like <laughs> hey, tell you know, somebody. It's a consensual situation, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, but just tell tell like a couple of people and see a bunch of people's reactions. Just kind of see how people, you know what I mean? Like just just test it out. With the with somebody with like a doctor, or just, I hey, wouldn't bring it up at the bar, but you know, <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, whatever. <laughs> so just after the cat incident, Nilsson's mother remarried and moved the whole family to a nicer town named Sturken. Cool. That was just a little bit further inland. All right. And life seemed to be fine, or at the very least comfortable. But the thing that drove Dennis away was being gay in a town that was never going to accept him for who he was. So or at Scotland. Least he thought. So Scotland now. Is <laughs> hey, that- I don't know. If, hey. I don't know anything Scotland about. Scotland's nice. We don't know if it's a homophobic. You don't know if it's a homophobic. A little bit religious. Maybe. Well, are you aren't you thinking of Ireland? Are they different? (laughs) You know what? I'm thinking of the kilt people. No, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of wonder. I know for a fact there's a lot of open-minded, wonderful people there. I'm just uh, just joking around here. Well, (laughs) (laughs) just making a joke here. Just trying to get the little humor in there. So Dennis Nelson, after figuring this wasn't the place for him, at the age of 14, and probably as the only recourse for getting out of this town as soon as he could, he signed up for a nine-year stint in the Army just before his 16th birthday. At 15? You could do that. In England, you can actually sign up for the Army at 15. I checked it out. You can sign up at 15 years and seven months. For nine years? Wow. It was a great thing that happened for him if the rest of his life didn't happen. It definitely gave him structure. Like, yeah. he showed up. He didn't know what to do with himself. He was he was not fitting in anywhere. He was getting the shit beat out of him. He was, like, doing all stuff. So when he showed up at the Army, it was, like, a really good... He's like, okay, I'll be I'll be a part of something. I'm going to train. I'm going to do all this shit. And so he went in, like, open eye. Also, it quite had to do with the fact... He did say that it had to do with uh, men in uniform at the office. And he hey. knew kind of instinctually being like, so you mean to tell me I got to be in a barrack with a bunch of just sweaty, green-covered men just <laughs> pushing up on each other. Like, it's great for him. Whatever it takes. I love it. So Nelson, when he went in, he took all of his tests and scored his highest marks in catering science. Catering science? Yeah. What do so, you mean? Catering? Yeah. yeah. Catering science. Like, like waiting? How, like sir, waitress? Waiting? Waiting? Waiter? That's how Dennis Nelson became a career army cook. Oh. No, he's not. No, you do not. They don't have waiters <laughs> in the U.S. Army. You don't you sign up. You don't become a, Privates are not waiters. Oh, okay. At the mess hall. Yeah, have right. you ever heard? You've never, you've ever heard of an army waiter? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't know. And the army is also where Dennis Nelson began to develop his lifelong love of booze. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Nelson saw himself as just another kid who needed a pint or two so he could relax around the other guys in his squad, but others who knew him back then said Nelson was just a lightweight who got trashed off half a pint and generally annoyed everyone. Okay. Well, that's kind of the, it's very classic, because in the uh, history of a drowned boy, it's all like, and everyone was delighted by my behavior. I would go and I'd nip back a couple of suds and everyone would be like, oh, Dennis, I wish you were around all the time. And I said, oh, quit fawning over me, you 
two paltry <laughs> young men slapping their thighs, kissing their cheeks. Just cut to him dancing on the table, kicking over everybody's plates, drinking out of <laughs> yeah. their cups, grabbing toupees, just being like, we had a wonderful evening, didn't we, guys? Yeah, and then he's also like 115 pounds soaking wet, so people would just fucking roll him out of a bar. Like, every single time he would fuck around, a bunch of people would be like, all right, this is done, and just grab him, and essentially he would just get tossed from place to place. Yeah, I, I will say, I will give you credit for this, Henry. Occasionally, uh, specifically in Philadelphia, I was so drunk, you channeled your inner god of war, and you picked me up <laughs> over your shoulder like I was a tree limb, or, or more dragged me like a toboggan, yeah. but nonetheless, yeah, but you did a good felt, job. Well, luckily, it was snowing, Yes. so then the ground was wet, and I literally had to drag you like, like you were in those palm fronds, like rafts that yeah. you do in the jungle when yeah. someone breaks their leg. Well, Nilsson's dr- drinking allowed him to place himself in sexual situations, even if it was only subconsciously at first, as it was during his first posting in Germany. One morning, Nilsson woke up after a long night of drinking next to a German that Nilsson referred to only as Fat Hans. <laughs> Man, you could have just called me Hans. <laughs> yeah, I do not appreciate the nickname, but also, do you have any chocolate? <laughs> I only have the finest milk chocolates in the morning, and then I have sausages for my second breakfast, and both have come. Yeah, when you do hear the name Hans, you do think a very muscular guy. Perhaps I'm just thinking of Kevin Nealon's character from SNL. Could be. But that is what I think of. So, yeah, you have to clarify Fat Hans. Now, Nilsson had gone blackout the night before, but he assumed he'd just stayed over at Fat Hans's place because he was too drunk to walk back to base. But still, this situation gave Nilsson a fantasy. Imagining just the possibility that the German had abused him in some way, Nilsson said, quote, My mind thrilled at the thought of this fat German undressing and fondling me. Because that was his whole thing, was that he was like, he he would build it all always into being like how irresistible he was when he was drunk. So when he would say he had this endless, endless fantasy of getting so drunk and that he would lay there asleep and he just know that no one would be able to help but like play with his butthole and suck on his penis while he was asleep. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the fact that Fat Hans was... Fat and ugly made it even hotter in Dennis's mind because it played into his fascination with androgyny. And then he took it even further. Dennis started imagining the same scenario, but with some of his fellow soldiers. So to try to make this a reality, Nilsson would pretend to pass out on the odd chance that a fondling might occur. Oh, I was just like, I am just like, how does everybody else feel? Do they feel as tired as I am? Because I am just so, oh, oh. Yeah. My butthole is exposed. <laughs> yeah. Certainly would be a tragedy if something were to happen to it. <laughs> it seems, it's just it's a strange honeypotting going on here, but okay. Yeah, and you could just see the other dudes just like staring at him. Yeah. Okay. Being like, what are you doing, Dennis? I'm playing the Vaz game. <laughs> Wouldn't it be a terrible, terrible series of circumstances if someone were to put several thorned flowers in my buttocks? <laughs> I sit here exposed, waiting to be pranked. <laughs> that would be kind of wild. But nothing like that ever actually happened. And in January of mm. 1967, the carefree days of Germany ended when Nilsson was transferred 
transferred to Aden in the Gulf of Arabia, now present-day Yemen. What were the years you said there? Uh, 67. Oh, okay. Yeah. And in Aden, he was a cook at a terrorist detainee prison in the city of Al-Mansura. Shit so got serious. Al-Mansura was also our gutter guy in Queens when we were kids. <laughs> he was over there, he would always clean out all the gutters. Loved Al. Not bad. So he's in Yemen now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, it was Aden back then, or Aden. A-D-E-N. Oh. I think maybe it's Aden. Oh. But in Aden, Nelson saw actual dead bodies. Even though he was a cook, he was still required to go on patrol. And since Aden was a British colony on the verge of independence, the city was littered with bodies. Uh, I think the the guy uh, Russ Coffee compared it to like modern day Afghanistan, but like Afghanistan at its height. And you knew he was the cook because he had a pot on his head and they gave him a ladle to fight with. <laughs> and that's not appropriate. I think he deserves a lot more equipment. But, yes. But Nelson said that these dead bodies that he saw, these war casualties, didn't actually do anything for him because any sort of visible mutilation spoiled the fantasy because Nelson liked his men clean. However, although it didn't fuel his fantasies, Russ Coffey postulates that this is where Nelson became desensitized right, okay. to dead bodies. Okay. After that, it wasn't a stretch for the fantasies of unconsciousness to cross over into a place of pure death. Okay. Well, a part of Dennis Nilsson's thing is that he wanted to show how unaffected he was. And that, that oh, made right. him manly, and that's what made him good at the army. And he would talk about it all the time, about how he's like, none of these bodies bother me. And they're all like, please stop. Okay. <laughs> please stop, Dennis. So it's literally like... He wasn't bothered, but he wasn't aroused. Yes. It was like totally just a neutral, like, I'm just going about my day, like looking oh, at a mailbox. It's just whatever. But that's the thing. He okay. saw those bodies, and that sort of crossed back into a, the memory of his grandfather. And so, oh, he, sure. and so that memory is starting to come back more and more, and it's starting to meet the dead bodies and the unconscious fantasies halfway. Okay. So this is a slow, like all of this stuff like slowly comes together over a period of years. And this is still his teenage years, right? He's in his early 20s early at this 20s. point. I think, okay. he's, it's like, I think he's like 21, 22. Right. And death almost came to Dennis Nelson in Aiden. One night, while drunk, he hailed a cab and passed out in the back seat. He was awoken by a blow to the head, and then, while he was stunned, he was stripped of his clothes and bundled into the trunk of the cab. Boing! (laughs) (laughs) So sexy for him. (laughs) And when Nelson woke up, he fumbled around in the trunk until he found the cold metal of a car jack. He grabbed it, waited until the cab driver opened the hatch, and when he did, Nelson clobbered him, took the cab driver's clothes, and ran away back to the base. Is that story real? Uh, it's... Well, there's no proof eh. of it, but at least Russ Coffee says that there was probably an element of truth to okay. it. And because I think with, and he said with a lot of Dennis Nilsson stories, like there's an element of truth to all of it. So okay. it could be true, but it might also, it might also not be. So the thing, we know he passed out in the back of a cab. We know he passed yeah. out in the back of a cab <laughs> and had an altercation be- with a cab driver. Okay. Because no. he would also do that all the time. Yeah. And he's in a war zone, but they would talk about how brazen he would be. He'd leave the group that was drinking at night and go drink further, and then his M.O. was to get into a cab and pass out just in case someone would suck his dick while he's asleep, <laughs> thinking that everyone's going to do this and they can't leave him alone like it's a cheese plate in an office kitchen. <laughs> We're just like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, but this, the, the, who knows? Who knows? Now, Nelson, whether it happened or not, he just popped this experience right into the old spank bang. Okay. And he fantasized constantly about the old taxi driver fondling him while he was passed out. Another thing that helped solidify this connection between sex and death was a painting by Theodore Jericho named The Raft of Medusa. Hmm. In the painting, about a dozen men, both living and dead, are lost at sea on a rickety raft 
about to sink. Okay. But what got Dennis going specifically was an old man and a young boy in the foreground. The young boy was dead and, coincidentally, the only one naked. That boy was draped across the old man's lap. And the Mm. old man sat with one arm over the young boy, resigned to his fate, almost bored. Yep, just just him and this young dead boy and his (laughs) magic sponge just sitting (laughs) waiting for Medusa to turn them all into stone. I understand. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe Maybe he was mourning. The loss of a child. Maybe. maybe. I think that would be the normal interpretation, don't you think? Quite possibly. Whatever, Kissel. <laughs> you fucking lame I mean, that, that would be. All right. Okay. Yeah, but his dick and balls were out. Ah. Uh, well, well, you can be sad naked. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, Some of my sadder times have been naked. Yeah. I'm not sure. But also, most of my happier times. Hmm. <laughs> Now, this painting made something click in Dennis Nelson's brain, and the fantasies only got weirder from there, because now he has that picture of old man, naked young boy. And while all of this may seem gratuitous, talking about all of these fantasies, especially what we're about to get into, it's all very important to the understanding of Dennis Nelson and to his uh, eventual career as a serial killer. Hmm. What brought him to the point of his first murder? It's his shallow view of his fantasies and how important his fantasies became to him over reality. And it's important to see that the the build of the of his fantasy world became like in most people it's 10% of your existence is your fantasy world uh, is your uh, and for him it became an all-consuming had to make it real. Yeah. Right. So in June of 1967, Nelson was transferred again to what is now the United Arab Emirates. This is right when the UAE struck oil. So this place was, I mean, it was getting rich real fast. All right. Now here, Nelson had his first homosexual experience, although it was far from what you would call an ethical one. Okay. Apparently, in this posting, local teenage boys were assigned to clean the rooms of British officers. Record scratch right there. <laughs> yeah, just, dude. You know what I mean? Like, like make them strap in young men. Make them men. They have a men cleaning the rooms instead of a of bunch problems. of vulnerable boys. UAE, they still they used to do as of two years ago child jockey racing, yes. which is literally slavery and it was horrible. And now they replaced them with little machines, little robots. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I guess so. Well, since Nilsson was an NCO corporal, he had a room and a boy all to himself. And these Mm. boys regularly sold their affections to the officers, if you know what I mean. What do you mean? They laugh at their jokes? (laughs) I don't know. Let's not go too deep into it. (laughs) So one day, Nilsson made his move. However, it probably did not end in penetrative sex, as that wasn't really Nilsson's bag. On the other hand, it's hard to pin down exactly what Nelson's bag actually was, because this is about the time the mirror came into play. Uh, you know what? Can I do a yada, yada, yada <laughs> here? Can we just yada, nope, yada, yada? This is all nope. extremely important. All right. Now, with this next bit, this is the problem, because I remember when I was a kid, right? When I was 14 years old, I think a part of what became, what, the, reason I, the reason why I am who I am hmm. is that they put the computer in my room when I was 13 years old, and I had a lock on that door. And there was a time in there, what I would say is not like, not anywhere close to this, but my masturbation world became very ornate <laughs> um, in a short period of time. Emphasis on short. Roast mode. As we said, Nelson had a private room. So when he had a day off, Nelson would lock his door and spend the afternoon masturbating while he stared at himself in the mirror. 
like Buffalo Bill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then he took it further. He realized that if he could position the mirror in just the right way, he could hide his own head and imagine his own body as the body of another man, while his own head would be someone else completely. So he had two people going. He also made his hand, he, he sat on his left hand until it was numb. He <laughs> called it the stranger. stranger. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he would do it, that thing where he'd build it out and he'd say that the, the guy in the mirror was somebody else, which I honestly, I imagine really works, especially if you're a young gay man in the military and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to express yourself to other people and it works, but it's just how it turns. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. Cause he said he never imagined that the head had a face. He just imagined it as a dirty old man with gray hair and Nelson would switch back and forth. Sometimes he'd play the boy. And sometimes you play the old man. Yeah, like an mm. old-timey vaudeville routine, but, it's, <laughs> but instead of laughter, it ends in calm all over yourself. Intriguing. It, it's just, you know, it's just an old man just sit there, just like, show him again, do, do it again for me, do the dance. And then he's like, oh no, I'm sleeping. I couldn't possibly answer you. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, his barracks mate next door is hearing the whole thing. Through the wall. <laughs> huh. And the whole time prog rock is playing, huh? <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Oh, not yet. Oh, okay. Not yet. We're, we're about to get into what Nilsson's musical tastes were at this time. Okay. Well, after he kind of got tired of the mirror game, he went even further, and he started bringing costumes and makeup into the mix. He would put talc on his face to give it a white appearance, then smear charcoal under his eyes to give it a dark, hollow look. He then put holes in his T-shirt to represent gunshot wounds and mixed red food coloring with saffron to make blood. In effect, Nilsson was making himself dead. So he was the corpse that he was masturbating to. Just wait a second. Oh, it gets even more elaborate. This is just the this is just the setup. Okay. He'd then lie down and stare at himself, slack-jawed in the mirror until he started drooling, and that's when his imagination would take him away. And you see, and this is, and like what we learned from LeVar Burton, that a book is an invitation to the world. Yeah. And that your imagination can take you anywhere. <laughs> yeah, some places maybe you don't want to go, but. He imagined himself to be a French dissident in World War II, shot, killed, and left in the woods to rot by an SS officer. He would then be found by an old hermit living in the woods who would drag French Dennis's body back to his shack. This will make for good scrubbing. Gotta bring him back to the shack. <laughs> Nothing better than nice, fresh French boy just laying nice and still. And he's like, say, say some more. Say to tell it again. <laughs> there, the old hermit would strip French Dennis naked and talk to him as he would an old friend. Hey, you like the, you remember when the Golden State Warriors are really fucking kicking ass right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, they're really doing well. You know what I would like watch with that wild, wild country on Netflix if you checked it out? They're very good. Very good. Is it Rajneesh? Very good. Sheila was the brains of the operation. <laughs> I, come, I came. All right. <laughs> and after that, the hermit would wash him, tie his penis, and put wadding up his anus. Mm -hmm. French Dennis would then be thrown into a grave and buried. But later, mm. the old man wouldn't be able to help himself. So he'd go and dig French Dennis back up and take him back to the shack, 
where the hermit would masturbate French Dennis's dead body until his penis, and only his penis, would come back to life to shoot a load all over the hermit. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Dennis, what you doing in there? We got it's five minutes to dinner. Hey, buddy, hey, buddy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cause he was this whole time his barracks makes were thinking he was just taking an afternoon nap. The saddest thing is he's the chef. And uh, that is really the whole thing is disgusting, but it's his own masturbation. He can do whatever he wants. Never should have killed people. But the really I just don't like do you want more soup? Like, no. Like I'm good. Hey, uh, Dennis, why are you winking all the time every time you're, you're handing out all these French bread pizzas? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a little practical joke there. So from the Middle East, Dennis was transferred back to Germany where he discovered one of his lifelong passions, filmmaking. Oh, okay. <laughs> yep. So he's a filmmaker now. Yeah. He bought, I did not know that. He bought an eight millimeter camera on a whim and started filming everything. Well, that's good. Nothing creepy is filmed with an eight millimeter. So that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> Obviously, yeah, no, no, no stag yeah, films no, no, were no, no, only not. filmed on an eight millimeter. But uh, he, his job was, so he, be, he got really into a cameras, but there's something about camera guys mm. where if you don't actually become a director like if you don't because he became obsessed and then it became turning everyone everything became a fucking project and he had to micromanage all forms of shooting everybody and he'd do mm. it, he would do it for hours and hours uh, and there's just something about those guys where if you don't move into uh actual professional film work that it's like, why do you always have to like freeze my soul yeah. onto this film? Like, well, why, you know, why is it so important to you? It kind of makes sense because he's disassociating himself with society. We see it all the time. Now people filming someone who is in peril with their phones as opposed to helping. Mm -hmm. You know, so that actually kind of makes sense that he would go into that as a profession or at least a hobby. It's definitely a hobby and he went even further than that as far as depersonalization because he'd just routinely make his friends pretend like they were dead. Like just lie there. Hmm. Just pretend like you're shot and dead. So just lie there for a little while. And he'd film them for a really long time. Um, and then he had one guy, that lonely private who had no friends, to play dead for him for multiple occasions where he'd dress him up like a dead body. And he'd film him for an uncomfortable period of time. And then Nilsson would take the game footage back to his apartment late at night and he'd watch it. Like, first pretending, like, I'm doing homework, I'm trying to be a better filmmaker, and then he'd have to leave to go jerk off, and then come back, and then eventually the dude that he was that was shooting him was like, uh, this is weird, uh, please stop filming me, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, I don't know, man. I think that guy might have been like, easy money. <laughs> Just got to play dead for 20 minutes. He's not making money. Oh, no. he's not paying him, huh? No, he's yeah, not you want to pay him, your no. actors. Yeah, no, this isn't SAG. Oh, well, <laughs> you want to pay your actors. No, besides that unpleasant incident, Nelson paints this time in his life as one of his happiest. But a, but a fellow NCO who emailed <laughs> author Russ Coffey in 2005 dispelled a lot of what Dennis had to say about himself. Okay. The first thing the NCO had to say about Nelson was that he had very, very poor hygiene. Although he didn't go into detail as to why he said he had poor hygiene. Hence I think the I UK tell. version of Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yes. Second thing he mentioned was that Nelson couldn't hold his liquor. And the third was Nelson's strange taste in pets. This is when the pet thing really started. Hmm. The first thing he bought was a minor bird. You ever heard of a minor bird? No, what's they're, a minor bird? They're kind of like parrots. They can mimic human speech, but it sounds really creepy. Uh, you know what a minor bird is? If you try to take it, I say that's a minor bird. That's <laughs> like a that's kind of like a that nacho is, cheese. Like what do you call it? cheese? It's a nacho cheese. What do you call a bird that's, very, that's, very that's, that's mine? It's a minor bird. Or, like, don't try to take it. Then. 
This is the kind of family entertainment that allowed us to be the most listened to podcast in 10 states. That's right. That's right. So when he bought the minor bird, he didn't buy a cage. He just let it loose in his room. Hmm. But he was in Germany now. He didn't have a private room. So he had a roommate that had to deal with all of this shit. So his roommate is living like the living room in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 <laughs> with a bird just flying around, but unfortunately it never dies. <laughs> yes. Well, but- Nelson's superior officer made him return the minor bird the next day. He's like, this is ridiculous. You can't do that. What do you think he said to his officer? It's minor bird. But, it, but uh, it's minor bird. <laughs> but, uh, but it's uh, wow. minor bird. They say I'm not needed on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so Nelson, after he returned the minor bird, he bought a mud turtle that he named Napoleon the 14th. Oh, that's yes. fun. Napoleon the 14th was an homage to the Dr. Demento mainstay band known for this novelty hit. What? Ben, you might know this one. He knew Demento, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if he knew Demento specifically. Okay. I think Demento. I think he was just an American guy. I don't know if they had Demento over in the UK. Okay, all right. So here's that song. They're coming to take me away, ha-ha. They're coming to take me away, ho-ho, hee-hee, ha-ha. To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time and I'll be happy to... You know, this is why I don't conceal and carry. <laughs> because I would have immediately shot myself in the it is that uh, that song is very creepy if taken seriously. Yes. I mean, like if not taken seriously, it's fun because I remember as a little kid loving that song. Yeah, me too. And then if you think about it now, as someone like Dennis Nilsson, that song playing while he's washing a dead body in his bathtub, right? You're like, oh yeah, yeah. I wish they did. I wish they had done that. But that is some. He would listen to that like it was music, right? Like, yeah, like, like it he, was like Zeppelin. Well, I, no, I think he thought it was funny. He did think it was funny. He definitely yeah, thought it was, it was okay. a funny song. Yeah, and at the time. Dr. Demento was very popular. Yeah, people love novelty songs. No, I mean, that was introduced by Dr. Demento, and then Dr. Demento came back and was like, that was a goofy tune. You know, that would be fun. You know, they hit the top of the charts in 1966. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, gold record. Man, what happened in 66? Were people on drugs? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So according to the NCO, Nelson kept Napoleon the 15th in a stinky tub under his bed and would feed it raw chunks of meat. And he'd then challenge anyone who came into his room to try to take meat from the turtle. (laughs) It's cute. But then he'd he'd do like a joke he's like ah maybe you don't want to feed her dead meat you want something fresh that's what you go you young lady you'll have something fresh because that was the other thing with Nilsson is that he was an almost professional level cock block <laughs> what he would do because that was his whole thing was that because he couldn't have relationships with any other men and it was like oh, that it was around him and he couldn't figure what to do is that he would just ruin the chances of any dude that was trying to close it with a woman at the end of the night and so when his roommate would bring chicks home, he'd be like, look at my stinky fucking turtle and like right. pulling it out and like feeding it fresh meat and shit until she left. Now, Nelson said he left the army after nine years wow. because he couldn't see a place in it for a homosexual such as himself. And while the sentiment may have been true, it wasn't the actual reason why Nelson left the army. Okay. In reality, Nelson was asked to leave. He was. Oh, yes. He had applied for a further service extension, but was denied because of his bad hygiene and a fistfight he had with his roommate about the smell coming from Napoleon the 14th. You know, that is always interesting when you're like, I want to die for this country. <laughs> and the country is like, we don't want you. We can't we don't have want you your corpse. <laughs> yes, yes, please leave. But his whole thing was he explained it away saying that the reason why he actually chose to leave was because no one understands a gay man in the army. And so he made it a 
immediately how he was a victim. Okay. And yeah. how like it was about his lifestyle. Well, I'm sure to some degree that is accurate. Well, I mean, I don't. Sure. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, but no. that wasn't the reason. He was trying no, to sign up for an extension. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. No, he just used it. He right, used, right, right. you know, he did that shitty thing that people do where they use actual prejudice that does actually exist and they apply it to themselves to excuse their shitty behavior. Sure, sure. So in other words, once again, Dennis Nelson painted himself as a tragic romantic. He was put upon by the world at large when in reality he was actually just a weird, annoying Dr. Demento fan that nobody actually liked. Okay. Aww. And that narrative seemed to continue when Nelson left the army and became a police officer in London. What? I mean, yeah, dude. I mean, he, because he left, right? He went back to, he went back home after getting out of the army and you go to the, they have a thing called like the United Army uh, Career Advice place, like essentially like a, a, where you go like a guidance counselor for the army because he'd been in the army since he was 16 years old. He came out 11 years later. He goes to them being like, what should I do? And the first thing they said is like, you should be a prison guard and it's just like because yeah, I guess the first thing is like, it's like you love to wrestle a man against his will you love to have you love to smell his fecus you love to smell his fecus <laughs> and he's just he's just like you do you're right that does make sense they're like well maybe you could be a police officer because it takes a little bit less upper arm strength yeah that's exactly who I want as my peace officer well, I mean he, so it's interesting Dr. Demento you know that's the thing about <laughs> like the fans it was Weird Al Yankovic and Dennis Nelson so it's like it's interesting that you know with us as well all of our listeners we have a diverse swath of people as well <laughs> I, I just hope that we have more Weird Al Yankovic than uh, yeah we want more yeah. creative yeah, more yeah. creatives. Yeah, and you know, pol- the police, the guys that served with Dennis Nelson, they also knew that there was something off about this guy. You know, because Dennis right. Nelson's narrative that, you know, oh, they didn't like me because I was gay, when in reality he was just a creepy weirdo, that continued into the police. But okay. one of his fellow officers said after it came out that an ex cop had been arrested for a multiple for mul- multiple murders, the ex cop said, quote, if it's true, he's an ex-copper. My money's on it being Dennis Nilsson. Really? Yeah. They knew. Okay. But it's the thing is that Nilsson didn't ever actually do anything horrible when he was a cop. He was actually, he said that his service was uh, pretty boring. Like, he just kind of went out and, like, shook How his truncheon. How long was he a cop for? Like, nine months. Oh, nine. Okay, yeah, so pretty short stint there. Pretty short stint. Okay. But... With Nelson, it was more of a vibe. Like, his mentor was an officer named Peter Wellsted, who made it a point to take all his new recruits to the morgue on their first day. Get him used to life on the streets. Hmm. And here's where it's going to get creepy again. Mm-hmm. Nelson said he saw a 12-year-old girl on a slab whom he thought looked like a boy. Nelson watched as an assistant, an old man with a hunchback, wheeled her around the room. Ugh. And again, Nelson's fantasy was not about himself. It was about the old man. You get it? I uh, no, but I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> no, I mean, so you he puts scenario. himself in the shoes of the old yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Is it's that the correct? same thing. It, he keeps accidentally finding himself in the same scenario where an old man is moving a limp body yeah, I, back and forth, and it makes him pop a boner instantly. I yeah. have to say, like most people go through their whole life never seen an old man around a corpse, and evidently, like he's seen it like a dozen times now, which is it just it's a little strange, of course. But be the change you want to see in the world, I suppose. <laughs> now it's rumored that Nelson was asked to leave at nine months after he was caught masturbating over a body in the morgue, but 
That is unsubstantiated. That's more of a rumor than anything. Oh, Jesus. Nelson said he left the force because, again, he couldn't see a place for himself there. So he got a job at the job center where he would work until his arrest as a boring old civil servant. He went to the job center, gave me a job, and they said, you can work here. I like that he took it literally. That's the job center. That's where you work. Well, yeah. I mean, he had the patience for it, and his patience will also be described later on as he would sit with the bodies and very specifically... Uh, cleave them of their meat. Okay. Mm. But before Nelson left the police, he was indirectly introduced to the London gay scene by the homophobic comments of a fellow officer. Yeah, it's sometimes homophobia helps. Because a police <laughs> officer, do, at one point, they were all hanging out. He's like, yeah, if you want to hang out with the other fancies, you go down to this area of town. And he was like, oh, really? Let my fingers do the walking and then my penis do the talking. <laughs> well, isn't that crazy? So he found out that way, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The officer told Nelson that you better stay away from Earl's Court, because that's where all the gays are. Wait, it's called Earl's Cork? Earl's Court. 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 Okay, yeah. I thought it was Earl's Court. Well, either way, Earl's Court. Okay. Yeah, so naturally that night, Nelson just made a beeline straight to Earl's Court. Okay. And that's where he found bars like the Black Cap the Golden Lion, and the Champion, not to mention the Pig and Whistle. Oh! Which was said to be the best spot for Sunday lunchtime cruising in London. There's a Pig and Whistle here in New York City. I've mm-hmm. been there for brunch. Very tasty. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah how was the cruising? Uh, it was good, <laughs> man. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I bet very you call, I bet you're you're quite a bit of chum for a bunch of lads out there. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. I do very well. No, I could see a bunch of the little, little what are those things, the remoras? What are the things that suck onto a shark? Uh, yeah, remora. Yeah, I could see a bunch of those all over here, a bunch of little, bunch of little tinier, tinier guys. Hey, I've been to many a gay bar with my brothers. I went to one called The Cock mm-hmm. uh, many years ago, oh. after hours. They didn't have any more beer. They stopped serving beer. But what did they have? Oh, my God. Well, uh, they, they, were, they were engaged, and they were having fun there. I'll tell you that. So while drinking in The Champion one night, Dennis met an 18-year-old named David Galashan. The two went home together, and after just a single night, Nelson impulsively asked the boy if he would be interested in getting an apartment together. Oh, my goodness. And so the two found a place and moved into 195 Melrose Avenue, where Nelson would commit the bulk of his 15 murders. The kid said yes? Yeah. Jeez. He was a bit bit of an impulsive uh, kid as well. Okay. Not surprisingly, though, things between Dennis and Twinkle, as Dennis would call him, didn't work out. There were multiple problems, but one of the biggest was their difference in music tastes. Dennis Nilsson becomes sort of like a version of like Patrick Bateman. Yeah, I was, he th- becomes I kind of was thinking that. Ob- he becomes obsessed with music. Yeah. Okay. And but like this, only uh, he, only the bands that he likes, like yes. Huey Lewis for 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 uh, Psycho. Yeah, it's only yes. yeah, it's only Huey, but it's certain like frequencies just hit him, and okay. it's a very specific kind of music. All right. See, Nilsson. He'd moved on from novelty hits and was big into classical music and prog rock, specifically the sounds of guys like Mike Oldfield and Rick Wakeman of the band Yes. Oh. So I know you're not familiar with Rick Wakeman. I know Yes. I know the band. Oh, yeah. But yeah. but he was specifically into Rick Wake- Wakeman's solo work. Okay. Mm, yes. <laughs> <This is> Very <laughs> specific. <laughs> so he's... Oh, right. So here's an example of okay. Wakeman's style to get you into the mind of the most notorious serial killer in British history behind Jack the Ripper. This one's called Bombay Duck. Just when? How do? 
<laughs> Castlevania, man. Like that is I a. I gotta love it. I listened it to is, that whole album last night. It's really. Are fun. there any words or is it all electronic? It's a, just a instrumental. It's keyboard. Instrumental. He's a, oh, that's a, a keyboard. Okay. A keyboard. Yeah, yeah, Moog. He's like part of that Moog era, and also um, just. Washing a bunch of dead bodies to that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> them to it. It's, it's not bad. It's just like, it's not like, I listen to music to relate to it, to unwind. Yeah, it's like. In my mind, it's like, you know, because we, what do we view? Uh, the famous serial killer that we know that was a, a, a fanboy was Richard Ramirez right. and ACDC. Exactly. And back in the day, it's like we could see that ACDC, like you can see listening to fucking like a God, no, like TNT, I guess. Like, I know that's one of their sillier hits, but you listen to Highway to Hell the first time it comes out and you're just like murdering a bunch of people. You could see the up-tempo, but there's something about that. Yeah. It's like, it's very strange to be to accompany murder. It well, literally all... seems like a pie shop on Thanksgiving <laughs> where they're just like, we're going to get these pies out. We have thousands of pie orders. Well, that's only a small sampling of Rick Wakeman's work. But there does seem to be kind of... That, it's in the wheelhouse of what we listened to before, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, and Rick Wakeman, like, he did, like, these big concept albums. Like, oh, he did okay. a big concept album about, like, King Arthur. He oh. did a concept album about the wives of Henry VIII. Cool, okay. Uh, and oh. a couple others. Like, it's really, it's actually pretty cool well, stuff. I really like talented, Rick yeah. Wakeman. Now, while that may not make much sense, Rick Wakeman might not make much sense as far as, like, listening uh, to the songs, like we did with Richard Ramirez, listening to ACDC and all that, but maybe... This song, Nelson's favorite song, okay. might give you a little bit more uh, insight. So this is the all-time favorite. This is Dennis Nelson's all-time favorite song. Okay. This is the soundtrack to almost every one of his murders. Okay. Yeah. This is a song, and we're going to listen to just a little bit of it to get into Dennis Nelson's head just a little. Uh-oh. Uh, this is Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. Oh. this song uh that was actually on my pill mix when i went through my weird phase when i was into fucking smoking a whole joint eating a couple of hydrocodones in fucking college I, that was like one of the songs i would sit and stare at my ceiling to yeah i yeah. love that you call that a phase uh, how long have you been doing that for now <laughs> oh i've stopped i don't do pills anymore yeah you stopped the pills yeah <laughs> oh that's good no, th- th- those will get you well i mean that song it's it's eight and a half minutes long that's right uh, yeah. and that kind of progression tends to it carries on for the entire eight and a half minutes. It does seem like something Harley Quinn would sing. I guess so, It's yeah. got a joker, sure. like the ha-ha stuff in the background. Interesting that you took that away from that. But it <laughs> does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But Twinkle hated all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And Twinkle was not... Twinkle's like an 18-year-old kid. What's a Twinkle like? Uh, just stuff. Bay City Rollers. Oh, like just different kind of music. Okay, more yeah, popular yeah. maybe. Yeah, just a lot more popular stuff. This is like pretty... Prog Rock's pretty, pretty highbrow. Okay. Eventually, Twinkle left Dennis for an older antiques dealer, leaving Dennis all alone. And the only things that Dennis got out of this relationship, and these actually is a pretty good haul, got a cute little mutt named Bleep, a cat named Dee Dee, and a private garden, which would be put to horrific use about a year later. 
Now, some have said that Twinkle leaving was the catalyst for Dennis's murder spree, but that's just the lazy answer. It completely misses the point of what drives men like Nelson. The point is that they're attracted to dead people. <laughs> yes. That's the thing. It's like, yes. oh, okay. oh, yeah, that's, I see. That's because the living are fine and they'll work in a pinch uh, because, like, Nelson had a string of summer flings before the killing began, which were, by the accounts of the flings, relatively normal, but that's not where the desire really lies. You it's know, not yeah, like he, he killed You her. have to get dead people to come. Yeah, I it's see. not a good. It's not a good combination. You, know, you need to tell somebody. You need to just say, hey, this is like an idea. I'm, hey, spitballing here. I think I only come when I see dead people. Like I a see. Haley Joel Osment, but grown up. Yeah. It's like, That's not good. The sex sense. Uh, this is, um, only on this show does that sentence get uttered. Like, that's not what got him upset. The problem is he wanted to have sex with dead people. Okay. Well, yeah, there we go. Exactly. Right. Yeah, because okay. he wasn't, okay. it wasn't because what everyone, that's why the book is called Killing for Company. They right, say right. Dennis right. Nelson, oh, yeah. oh, because, I get it now. Yeah. because that's what Brian Masters, that's what his whole thesis was. Ah. That he killed for company, he killed because he was lonely, but I don't think that's the case at all. Okay. Yes, I mean, a part of it's also the very, what is the Jeffrey Dahmer excuse, which they said is that I killed them because they were going to leave. Yeah. Because everybody in my life leaves. Because no one ever stays for the long haul forever. But the problem is the dead body doesn't either, because in three weeks you got to get rid of it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Now, really, with Nelson, it was just a slow build of mental illness, the escalation of fantasy, and, of course, also loneliness that resulted in the events of December 30th, 1978, when Dennis Nelson committed his first murder. And loneliness did play a factor in it, but these guys always put it as the number one factor, when in fact, eh, it's about number three. Okay. Now, on the day before New Year's Eve, Dennis Nelson met Stephen Holmes in the Cricklewood Arms Pub located in Cricklewood. Oh, I like the Cricklewood Arms Pub. That's a fun name, Cricklewood. 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 Now, Holmes was only 14 and had ducked into the pub after a concert to warm himself up. Hmm. He was on his way home. But Nelson chicken-hawked the boy immediately and invited him back to his place for a few more drinks. Now, nothing overtly sexual seemed to happen because the boy wasn't gay. The two apparently just drank and passed out. Because that's another thing that people always say about Dennis Nelson's victims. Like, they were all street homosexuals. Okay. But it was a mix. Yeah, he just sometimes, it's a buddy. It's like a thing where he'd meet somebody, they'd hit it off, they'd get hammered. Again, we were talking about it's like a 10 p.m. curfew at the party. It's like, let's go let's go have a couple at my house. Sure. You can listen to my hi-fi records where you're going to have to listen to them in headphones. And that's like my big thing about audiophiles where they kind of creep me out where it's like if you go to somebody's house and the only way to listen to the albums that they want you to listen to is over your headphones, they're planning something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I never do that. No. The headphones albums, those are for me. Okay. But Nelson woke up before Stephen Holmes. Nelson said he stared at the boy and thought about how nice it would be if he stayed for New Year's Eve. But Nelson knew it was more likely that as soon as he woke up, the boy would be out of the door. Mm -hmm. And so Nelson decided he was going to make him stay. Uh oh. He picked up a necktie, wrapped it around the boy's throat, and strangled him. But this only knocked Stephen out. So Nelson finished him off by shoving the boy's head in a bucket of water until the bubble stopped coming. And Nelson said as he was doing it, he flashed back to the fantasy of the old man in the cabin. Uh. But with Stephen Holmes, Nelson was the old man, while the boy was Nelson. And in thinking this way, Nelson could achieve his fantasies of being both the perpetrator and the victim by using his victims as a surrogate. Circuit complete. In his mind, 
mind, murder was the only way that the fantasy could truly be achieved, making him admittedly more complicated than your average serial killer, but in the end, no different in the motivations. Very, very con- complex and confusing stuff there. Yes, he is. He obviously, this is a, it's not a simple problem. No, it is not. So this is the first murder. And now what age is he here? About 32. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, the, it really like the, this guy completely overcomplicates everything because a lot of these guys, like when they talk, because serial killers, what it is, is that it's fantasy and reality coming together. And a lot of these guys, the fantasy is so simple. Like the fantasy, like with a, a guy like Jerry Brudos, like, uh, right. or, uh, or like Leonard Lake. Uh, the fantasy is kidnap a woman, keep her in a room, and she's essentially my sex slave. It's one, right. two, three. It's this very is simple. Much more complex. But Dennis Nelson, it's like it's this huge web that makes him appear so to he, be more complicated and does, deep than he actually he is. Feel, but he's not. Does he feel like he is killing himself? No, no. It's the opposite. It's it's a there's a thing where he he does do that a little bit, but mostly it's about. I think it can be boiled down simply because he talks about it later on, mm. where he said the ultimate thrill in interviews while he's in jail. He said the ultimate thrill was the lifting of the dead body to the tub because it was the limpness of a of somebody that was completely under his control. So it is a control thing. It's just so so extreme, and he is the most product killer of product killers that we've really covered definitely a product the, killer yeah. the the murders were quick and he did not like to do it it was just to get the body and that's Domarest too right well there were a couple times where he did do it for a reason um but we'll get into that in the next episode all right so after killing Holmes, Nelson hung the body upside down from the rafters and washed it clean. He then wrapped him in a curtain, put the body in his bed, and went back to sleep next to it to recover from his hangover. Oh, my God. The next morning, though, Nelson tried to put the body under the floorboards, but rigor mortis had set in, so Nelson couldn't fit the Oof. body inside. Jesus. So after Dennis finally got the body under the floorboards, he only brought it back up once, out of curiosity, before finally deciding to get rid of it in August of that year, eight oh months after God. the murder. What did his... Now, is this an apartment or a home? It's an apartment, but it's the ground floor of the apartment. Well, shouldn't that... Doesn't that smell? I mean, he got yes. deodorants and things like that, and people who went to his apartment said it had a, a musty smell. That is being polite. Yes. That is being polite. His apartment was smelly. They yeah. always said that he smelled, the apartment was disgusting, the, he would bury it. That's what he thought would cover it up, is that he would take sticks of a deodorant and he would bury it inside of the body like he threw it down in the rafters thinking it was going to cover it up mm. but this was just the first one yeah and so th- this was him burying it up and they also talk about how like when he dug when he looked at the body again there was a part of him that did believe that the body would either disappear or that he would be alive yeah and then well he would open it up and it would all be over and the scenario would be over and then it wasn't because he killed somebody so it sat in there and it ruined everyone's day yeah degree is about temperature you know, that is what the order is for. Not like first degree murder, second degree murder. We cover it up. It's about like 98 degree weather. Mm-hmm. You won't be sweating. <laughs> he got it all wrong. And so when Nelson finally decided he was going to get rid of the body. Good Lord. He built a bonfire in his backyard and burned the body until there was nothing recognizably human left. What? And he threw a tire on uh, the fire to hide the smell. And it only gets weirder from there. So join us next week. Ugh. For the conclusion of Dennis Nelson. All right. And the other 14 murders. All right. So he's cracked, uh, I guess, the murder seal here. Yes, he has. All right. Well, wow. Great. uh, Interesting stuff. What a a 
crazy character here. It's a very bizarre story. Yes, it's a very bizarre yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yep. It's very bizarre, and it became a part of the UK true crime lexicon. Uh, this is one of the first UK serial killers that we've really covered in terms of like the delve deep into one of these guys, one of their super famous guys, besides old Jack and Fred and, and Fred and Rose West, who were also very disgusting. Oof, yeah, they were gross. This, but the second half of this shows his full descent and complete madness, and then the very we'll go through the very famous way that he was caught. Okay. How long was this? Uh, how long are we going to be talking? here is about a 10-year span of oh, it's crime? like five five years? five years oh my goodness all right everyone well thank you so much for listening dennis nelson it's a fascinating case study uh in uh people you know you gotta get get your help out there get your and help all of yeah. us all of us have our help we all have our uh, help. and yes. it, you know it only does so much but um join join anyway. a softball team hey all right <laughs> that's a good way to get it out there you know like a kickball team one of those things go to an embroidery class yes well maybe tomorrow i'm gonna go to a world or on saturday i'm gonna go to a world war ii reenactment Ooh. so that, that's something fun to do too mm-hmm. and can i guess what side you'll be on or I'm not going to reenact, Henry. <laughs> Good Lord. All right. So, and also remember, like, you don't have to get to the point of almost being a serial killer to get help for your mental illness because this is Mental Illness Awareness Month. Hey, all right. Yeah. Of course, we all get help for our shit, and it's helped us out a lot. And thank you to everybody who gets a hold of us and say uh, that we helped you yes. get help, too. Uh, so, yeah, take take care of yourself out Absolutely. there. Don't be a Nilsson. Uh, don't be a Nilsson. I like <laughs> don't that. Don't be a Nilsson. Be a Wilson. Willie Nelson. <laughs> a Wilson? Yeah, there we go. Wilson Phillips as well, or Wilson from Tool Time. I refuse to call it Home Improvement. Um, all right, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for giving to our Patreon. Without you, none of this is possible. Go and uh, listen to our episodes. Henry and I have been doing some very fun interviews, and we have a great interview coming up for you guys uh, this week. I think you guys are really going to like it. Speaking of evil genius, uh, we should be speaking oh. with that producer there. Uh, um, and uh, let's see. Anything else, Marcus? What do we want to talk about? Uh, be sure and Go listen to all the other shows on the Last Podcast Network. Yes. Go check out Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, Page Seven, Movie Sign with the Mads. Uh, what else we got over there? We got a whole bunch. Of, we got the we story got a whole must bunch be of ho- stuff. told. We got brand new. We got the Adventures of Danny and Mike. Yes. Check that out. That's brand new. Check that out. They're they're ready and raring to go. They've had a podcast going for a while, but now they're a part of our network and they should be doing some stellar shows in the future. Absolutely. Um, and we just found out we ha- we are the number one podcast in the country. So I want to thank all of you for. For that from the bottom of our hearts thank you uh we are the number one podcast in 10 states 10 states uh, better than and including my home state of wisconsin yeah. minnesota's in there alaska florida uh parts of texas <laughs> half of texas half, half of texas actually we're we're and either half, number we're number one in the midwest and uh number two in the west and the, uh, south. And the, and the south that's right so thank you all so much for that what a nice pleasant surprise that was to was uh really amazing and the, the guy who wrote the article did not like the evidence he found but <laughs> They were honest, and uh, he, tend, and he tended to bury the lead a little bit <laughs> about. But that's okay. He did definitely talk about all the podcasts that he was surprised weren't mm-hmm. yes, and, uh, yes. on top of the charts, which and was def- kind of fun. definitely showed one of the things that's wrong with this country right now. When he talked, uh, only talked about how we're all different instead of talking about how we're all the same. That's right, yes. and what we all sh- and what we all um, share. Because uh, last podcast on the left, whether the state be red, blue, or purple, absolutely, absolutely, people um, dig us. Absolutely. And we thank you all very much. Thank you so much. That was that was such a nice uh, such a nice pick me up. We have a show coming up in San Diego. Yeah, we have tickets that's that right. are available for purchase. Uh, it will be at the Balboa Theater.
Theater on Friday, July 20th at 10.30 p.m. And the, to please come. We'll be there during Comic-Con. If you're there for Comic-Con, come check us out. We will be at Comic-Con doing last stream on the left shows. Yep. Live for AdultSwift.com. So you're going to see your fucking asses around. Uh-huh. So you'll we're there. It's going to be fun as shit. I can't we're, wait. We're back on the road soon. This is the big Comic-Con, right? This was this where the it began, biggest, right? Do you think we could get Worf to come on one of our streams? Worf from Star Trek? Yeah, he'll I'll be ask. I bet he'll be there. Yeah, dude, I'll dress up like a Klingon. I'll get him over there. <laughs> a lot of those guys are really busy trying to get light. Yeah. So they don't want to do I as think much stuff. Trying to get some money there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, have nothing to give them. App, no, nothing. Um, all right, everyone, hail yourselves. Thank you all so much. Follow us on social media at Twitter on uh, at Henry Loves You at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel. Follow us on Instagram at Doctor Fantasy at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel the number one. And follow Last Podcast on all of the bullshits at LP on the left. All right, hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Hail me. And a Magustalations one and all. Yes. Listen to some prog rock. Relax. Relax. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing relaxing about it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says right here, what would you do if another extra hour of your day? I mean, well, obviously I'd get some nunchuck training in. Uh, I'd make love to my wife. That takes about nine. That's a full nine minutes of that hour. And then I would probably uh, go to get a donut. And then... I'd probably yell at my parents. But a lot of us wish we had more time. The question is time for what? I don't know. What works for you? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. And therapy can help you find out what matters to you so you can do more of it. You know that question? They're like, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do? You know, and like, you know, when I answer, it's of course, I would grind the government to a standstill with my giant machine of my making in secret for many years. But a lot of people get mad at that and it's really hard to do that in a job interview or like when you're meeting somebody's like your significant other's parents for the first time. So, and you might actually want to think of starting therapy. So give better help a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So learn to make time. For what makes you happy with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash last pod today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com. Slash L-A-S-T-P-O-D. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs who are looking to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for a creative way to increase revenue and give your family and friends the holiday treats they deserve, then you need to get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. If I needed to give a class on digging holes, I'd do it. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand. Upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills. And tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or you can sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash left.